Well, hello, hello. Welcome to TAO Intentions Podcast. Our returning guest today is Dr. Tiffany Ross. All right. Thank you so much for returning, Dr. Tiffany Ross. Thank you so much for having me again, Orchid. It's always a pleasure um, to meet with you and do these podcasts. I'm always uh, invigorized and looking forward to the opportunity. So thank you. No, thank you. You have definitely educated us, you know, since you started uh, coming on this podcast. And, you know, I really do hope that you continue to bless us with your knowledge, your grace and all of your love. <laughs> thank you so much. I hope so, too. So today's podcast episode is going to be about generational trauma. In our previous podcast session, Healthy versus Unhealthy Relationship, we touched on upbringing contributing to unhealthy relationships. I wanted to dive right into this podcast episode focusing on generational trauma, the effects on the community and mental health. This might explain how we interact with people and our relationships within our family and our friends. So Dr. Ross, the questions I asked in our previous episode was, does upbringing contribute to unhealthy relationships? Yes, certainly they do. Um, a, a lot of things that take place during our childhood are things that we learn, a lot of learned behaviors. And so when we, we look at the connection between our um, childhood, because our childhood is really the foundation of every relationship that we will have, we definitely see those connections. So they do contribute to unhealthy relationships. Okay, wonderful. I know I had you repeat that, but I just wanted to introduce this topic with a bit of basis of why it's important. Um, so let's talk. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about childhood development. Can you break down or explain what that means and why this is important? Sure. Um, child development just really talks about the process by which a um, a child develops over time. So to be a little bit more specific, what a lot of people who study childhood development look for is how a child is developing intellectually, how they're developing physically, um, emotionally, and um, in their social awareness or their social development. Okay, perfect. And how important would you say childhood development is to mental health? Um, and explain if you can. Sure, sure. But childhood development for mental health kind of falls up under that social and emotional development. And emotional development is just what it is. is how a child um, develops emotionally. So how are they handling emotions? Are they being taught how to process and to correctly handle emotions? Because believe it or not, a lot of people are not taught how to um handle their emotions in a healthy way in childhood and it all it absolutely translates into adults. Social development is defined as how children interact with other children their age. Um, and this can also include their family too as well. All right. So can what you have experienced in childhood change your perception in life, love, and every decision you make in your transition to adulthood? Certainly, it does. And I think we talked about that a little bit in the first question. Like, our, our childhood is the foundation. It is the foundation. It is how we learn how to get along with other people. It is how we learn how to process emotions. 
it's, it's all of that in, in, in the beginning. And so if, if the foundation starts out kind of rocky, then we see um, certain patterns that form that um, are unhealthy. I understand completely. Do you agree that bad habits and destructive behaviors can be learned as a child? I do. I, I, I feel like there are multiple components. I think our childhood is one component, but some things are learned, and we can learn those, those through looking at the people um, that are modeling certain behaviors from us. But I also think there's also genetic components. So there are things that have just been passed down that we also All right. And as a therapist, how difficult is it to correct such behavior that have been nurtured since childhood? I, I wouldn't say that it's difficult, but I would say that, or I will say that it depends on the person. And a lot of times, well, in therapy, we talk about a first order and a second order change. And the first order change is just like a behavioral change. So it's a behavioral change, but the second order change is that your your life is transformed. And often um, with people, it is hard for them to get to that second order change because once they see some little improvements in behavior, then they feel like they're okay and that it's okay. And sometimes they are okay. But in order to see a complete transformation, you got to stick it out a little bit longer, and a lot of times people don't get there. Mm, I understand. So now we're going to go into a bit more questions geared towards generational trauma. Uh, Please define generational trauma, and would this fall into trauma that are passed down from parents to children? Absolutely. Um, I think you hit it right on the head, Um, generational trauma is trauma that has been passed down from one generation to another generation in one family unit. So it could be parent to child, grandparent to um, parent. Um, So it's just between those generations in that one family. Okay. Uh, Please define intergenerational trauma and how it is different or similar to generational trauma and what links them together. They're actually no links. They are the same. I I kind of went back and did the research. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the same. This is the same. They're one and the same. So there are no links. They are one and the same. So it's just this is that that trauma that has been passed down from one generation to the next. Then why did they create two? I mean, they have so many different versions of generational trauma, and they have so many different names for it. I don't understand why they would categorize it and change it into different names to try to define the same thing (laughs) absolutely scientists do that (laughs) and it depends on what field you're in and all this stuff but um yeah when i did the research i was like oh my goodness they're the same it's generation no trauma it's trauma from one generation to the next that is defined in one family unit okay so what are symptoms of generational trauma Okay, I wouldn't say that there are symptoms, but I will say that there are behaviors or certain patterns of behavior that we will see um, that show up in therapy. So you'll see people that present and they have um, issues with stress. 
or issues with anxiety or depression um, or relationship or boundary issues. So they are ne not necessarily symptoms because you can't diagnose generational trauma. It's more so patterns of behaviors um, that you will see. All right. And would generational trauma be considered a mental disorder or illness? No, Orchid. It's, um, it's not a illness or something that can be diagnosed. But we will see certain things that are diagnosed or certain things that happen that are diagnosed, um, such as sexual abuse or incest. Um, so we'll see the certain things like that that will present that are diagnosable, like anxiety and depression. They are diagnosable, but the generational trauma um, is not diagnosable. Okay, I kind of just wanted to clear that up because, again, I don't know very much about generational trauma. Like, I've, I hear it a lot. People are always throwing it out there. Mm -hmm. No one's truly defining what it is. And so whenever I hear it all the time and it's just kind of used as an excuse for a lot of things, I just figured that it was a part of mental disorders or a mental illness or something. But I do appreciate you kind of breaking it down and saying that, you know, it's just a label for what someone might be going yeah. through, but it's the it's the symptoms, not symptoms, but maybe the, the behaviors um, under that category that might be considered um, something that can be diagnosed. Absolutely. That's good. Good point, too. And you do hear a lot of people throwing a lot of terms out there, especially um, with the whole uh, racial climate now that's, that's um, new to some, familiar to others. Because um, racism is also one of those symptoms of generational trauma that you see, too. Yes, and actually I learned about that from Tiffany O'Bannon. Um, she was trying to explain to me that, you know, a lot of people um, get a bit confused. They just consider certain category as being racist when it could just be sexism. <laughs> and I thought, what? Oh, that's good. <laughs> yes. So when she explained that to me and, and I was like, oh, wow. So I, I look forward to diving in with uh, on that topic with um, Tiffany O'Bannon. Uh, but for now, we're going to focus on the generational trauma so I can maybe understand what the big fuss is about. Um, how does therapy contribute to the treatment for generational trauma? Again, when I created this question, I really did believe that generational trauma was like a mental disorder or something so i hope you understand the question and know that it's not really necessarily about treating of the generational trauma but when it comes to therapy for people who are going through um generational trauma like how does therapy contribute to helping them um grow from it or move past it or shed that burden that maybe they're carrying on their shoulders yeah yeah um General, I am a marriage and family therapist, and what's unique about marriage and family therapy is that we focus on treating a family system. So even if I'm working with an individual, we can still pull the family in, and I'm not meaning like tell your grandmother to come to therapy. No, I'm meaning let's talk about what life was like for you growing up or what your relationship is with your grandmother or your family. And so the, the benefit of treating um, the symptoms that we see in generational trauma is that we actually could go back 
and repair some of the the behaviors or some of the um, boundary issues that were unhealthy or toxic even in some families just with an individual or with one family system um, that may be presented in therapy. I hope I answered your question. You did, especially since, you know, I I miswrote that um that question based on the fact that I thought maybe it was a mental disorder. So I'm glad and I appreciate your, your answer. <laughs> yes, no problem. All right. So what are acts that individuals could endure that could be a sign of generational trauma? You did mention a little bit earlier that um, incest or sexual assault or things like that could be considered a sign of generational trauma? Um, is there anything mm-hmm. else that could fall under that category? Absolutely. Um, poverty. Because now that we do know, a lot of research talks about the the impact that poverty has on a person's mind, the, um, and their genetic makeup, um, how they view finances, and how they even view the world, and the type of education they have access to. Um, the type of medical assistance they have access to. So from being in poverty, you have all these experiences that could happen that could potentially cause trauma. You may live in a lower income um, community and you may be in that community with people who have certain addictions or um, certain other behaviors that are toxic or unhealthy. And so all of this is helped shaping, especially, especially during your childhood, is helped shaping who you are, whether good or bad, or whether unhealthy or healthy. And so, like I was talking about a little bit um, earlier, um, Orchid, is the benefit of therapy that we can go back and really look at the, these patterns, you know, that we see, and then work on repairing some of the things that um, just were not formed the right way during childhood. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is when you mentioned addiction, it actually brought me back to uh, something someone had said to me um, years ago. And I guess she, you know, I'm the type of person that likes to have a glass of wine, you know, maybe not every day, but at least once a week. And this girl came up to me and she was like, you know, you really shouldn't drink. And I said, I'm going to have a glass of wine if I want to have a glass of wine. I know my limits and I know how to drink in moderation. And she's like, well, not everyone is like that. And I said, well, you're lumping me in a category of other people when I don't struggle with addiction in any way. And she said, well, you know, for me, I come from a family where addiction just kind of runs through our, our bloodline, so I am prone to to drink. And I said, well, if you know, if you want me to assist in making sure that you don't have a drink due to you know this situation with your family, then I can help you with that. But I am going to have a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, f- I, f- I figured that when you mentioned addic- addiction, um, I, I ne- it never clicked to me that this could be a generational trauma. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's so ironic because oftentimes when you see addiction, you will see that run in, like, you trace the generations back, you will see that run throughout generations. 
in therapy we do uh, what we call a genogram and a genogram is, is similar to a family tree but it also traces um, the family's behaviors or the family's emotions and boundaries and um, interactions and so we often see that if addiction is happening in one generation or with one person in that generation if we go back a little bit it, it has happened somewhere else and the same is, is true for sexual abuse and like I was talking about incest. All these behaviors carry through generations because it's trauma. And we learn certain things, like we adapt in trauma, we, we, um, whether it's negative or positive, we adapt. And so we carry those behaviors over in generations. Like I can remember, and this just being a little bit personal, I can remember growing up and my mother saying to me, um, don't hang around that boy. If you do, you're going to get pregnant. And I'm like, I, I didn't, he's my friend. We're not having sex like I'm, I'm eight. <laughs> I'm eight at that time. I knew nothing about sex. But because she had had a baby at 14, gotten pregnant at 14, her, her, her trauma, that's traumatic. 14-year-old being pregnant and all the things that happened during that, you know, during that time is trauma. And because she, of her experience and what she had experienced, she didn't want me to follow the same path. So she was overprotective and would, would say different little things to me like that, for instance. Like, you don't hang around that boy. You know, you'll get pregnant. Or you don't need to date until you're grown. Or um, are you are you saying, like, she put me on birth control uh, way too early just because of her experiences um, during her childhood. Wow, having you kind of explain that makes me feel a bit more sympathetic towards my mother because I was always angry with my mother for starting at a very young age telling me about babies and how dangerous it is and all of these kind of stuff and how miserable it has made her life and I was always annoyed hearing it because in my mind, you know, I'm not her. Like the choices that you have made it's not something that I should burden myself with. And I, I believe when I was 18 years old, I had to tell my mother that. So to hear that yeah. you kind of went through that similar situation, but at the age of eight, which is crazy to me, um, I would never have categorized what my mom was saying and doing and speaking into my life as trauma, like generational trauma. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's their traumatic experience. Um, and in therapy, we say pushed on you because it's nothing that you you act for you were just born you weren't there during that time you know you didn't know what happened but because she never properly processed her own trauma she passed that that um on to you and so did my mom that's crazy well you seem quite whole even being in that situation so oh gosh no You seem like you got it together. Yeah. You are not a hot mess. <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> no, I think everyone is a hot mess, girl. I think I've just had the opportunity to uh, process my hot mess and have learned healthier coping mechanisms. <laughs> but yes, we're all a hot mess at our core. Okay. So I'm still trying to understand how generational trauma could be different from regular trauma. Based on everything that we're talking about, it sounds just like regular trauma to me. Um, Some people have categorized systematic issues as generational. So how would you explain that 
or or and separate them? Um, repeat the question for me, Orchid. All right. So the question so is, some people have categorized systematic issues as generational trauma. Uh-huh. So how would you explain that and or separate them? Yeah, and, uh, generational trauma and regular trauma are different. And here's how they're different. Um, generational trauma focuses on general trauma that is passed from one generation to another, whereas regular trauma doesn't necessarily come from, or it can, but it doesn't necessarily come from um, something that has occurred throughout the generations. So one instance that I can think of is a rape victim or rape survivor. Because I always like to look at someone who has endured any type of sexual violence or abuse as a survivor. So a rape survivor. Well, they may have been the first person in their family who has been raped. So we, we may not see that connection between, you know, their particular situation and then something that has occurred in past generations. So if it's an isolated incident, you'll hear therapists say that. If it's an isolated incident, meaning that it only occurred with this one person or one time, there's no connection to generations. Versus generational trauma, you will see those connections throughout generations or in past generations. Okay, thank you for pointing that out. I just kept thinking, you know, when people are talking about sexual assault or incest or things like that, I figured that, you know, that's just regular trauma. I would have never considered it generational trauma. So for you to say that if it's an isolated event in an individual's life, that that's just regular trauma compared to if, you know, it's five generations of women in one specific family passing down and each and every one of these women are going through the exact same thing that, you know, the woman before them had went through, um, then that would be considered generational trauma. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And I I don't want to make it seem like regular trauma. It's just like, oh, this is just regular trauma. (laughs) to downplay it because any type of trauma is trauma. It is just that. It is trauma. It is traumatic. It impacts a person's well-being. It impacts how they look at life and um, and how they experience people in in the community and life. It just it, it transforms that person. So I, I wanted to make sure to point that out that when we talk about regular trauma, it's not to downplay um, the trauma at all. Okay, I do have a follow-up, random, out of nowhere question for that, but I'll let you finish with the uh, explanation on the rest of the question. Okay, great. So. Okay, so the next part when you're talking about um, systemic issues, would you mind going a little bit in depth about what you mean there? Um, When I formulated this question, I think now that we're discussing it, I should have separated it into two. But um, I just kind of wanted to to go a bit broader and not just focus on relationship between parent and child, but to kind of go into... Um, systematic issues that we might be dealing with on a regular basis. So this question might be pertaining to the culture as a whole. 
Um, that could be poverty, the fact that, you know, parents have taught their kids to, to feel scarcity, uh, holding on to resources and cluttering and, you know, things holding on to things that maybe they don't need and being afraid to spend a little bit of money. Um, that could be um, a, a, an example of systematic issues. Um, the other example that I would I would give is the fact that parents are always you know, raising their, their black children to to believe that they need to work much harder than everyone else because of their skin color. Yeah. And this has been passed down through yeah. generations. So I consider that to be a systematic issue because of what they've been through with society, telling them they're not good enough and telling them that what they're doing is not enough. And if you do too well, it's a problem. If you do poorly, they rejoice and they rub it in your face. And so it's kind of left a sort of trauma within generations of family members. And they've made sure to raise their kids at a very young age to say, look, be better than everyone. Yeah. So that's what I kind of meant by the category of, you know, systematic issues as generational trauma. Yeah, yeah, and I could I could totally see the connection there. Cause I I thought about when you were saying that the the issue of racism, because I feel like that in and of itself is so traumatic um, for those. And we're not just talking about black families; we're talking about Asian families. Because now there's just um, so many different ways that um, racism presents itself in the culture now, and we see those play out all the time in social media, on the news, um, in workplaces. So we see these systematic issues of how we view um, someone that does not look like us or does not act like us or do not have um, the same culture that we have. We see these systematic issues form. And from that, generationally, it changes, just as you said, it changes how we parent and how we um, just raise our children to be able to function in the world. And uh, you, you mentioned this, um, and I wanna just tell my own personal story about it, is um, working harder than anyone else just because of my color. Like I was raised to work hard, work, that's, because that's what you do. Like you have to work harder than the next person to be able to prove yourself to other people and for them to, or other races, for them to um, to accept you or to, so that you can land these positions and be considered worthy in the workplace. So I can see the connection of, of exactly where you're saying, Orchid. But here's one thing that I've learned is that, number one, it is exactly what you did with your mom and what I had to do with mom, my mom, is to learn how to say, um, this stops here. These are your traumatic issues or these are your issues for you to process and not to place on me because I'm not going to work myself to the bone like other women have in my family and look at my life and still be sitting in the same space. I'm not going to wait on an employer to validate who I am as an employee. I am going to validate who I am as myself and my career and what I've worked hard to achieve. I don't really need anyone else to do that. I don't I don't need to I don't need to prove myself. That's 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 still repeating the trauma if I'm still waiting on someone else to validate and heal me. 
Yes. And I appreciate you sharing that story because you sharing that just kind of brought me back to even something that I've been struggling with for years and I still struggle with it today. What you pointed out about, you know, just kind of having that conversation with your parent and just saying, you know, I can't carry this burden anymore. I do find that it's so easy to say it, but then when you have been programmed to do that, you've been programmed from a very young age to keep running, 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 running. If you if you stop running, you're you're going to experience failure. And if you're if you're failure, then you'll have yeah. nothing. And I've literally had to to live my life that way to the point where I'm always serious. In my age now, I struggle with anxiety and stress because the thought of failure in anything that I do and having my own mother see me fail or think that I'm a failure or constantly remind me that I'm a failure and what am I doing with my life has paralyzed me. So I've never looked at it as, you know, a parent is feeding fear into a child at a young age until this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that, Orchid. I I struggle with anxiety too because those things, messages that, that you just have to keep going you keep going you keep working and um i can remember when i was in school um as i've been in school several times <laughs> and so and my mom um would say when are you going to stop going to school and go to work because it was so ingrained that you go to school you get an education and you go work for someone else the whole concept of entrepreneurship to me in the beginning was like, oh, I'm failing my mom. Like, all of this time in school, and I'm failing her because I'm not following the traditional path to being quote unquote successful. When success is not defined by working hard, that's we should work hard, but we should not overwork. And I think a lot of the uh, messages that we've received is that overwork is working hard, and that's just not true. You you work hard when you reach your goals and when you're aligned with what you are called to do. And you know what? Having you bring that up, it is so true. And if you actually look back, this is still something that's still being taught to young black children every single day due to you know the experiences of of racism and so we were we were told i'm not sure by whom but we were told as a as a culture that we needed to work really hard work so hard to the point where we're exhausted and we have nothing and when you look back at all those parents and grandparents and people in the past who have had to fight and push, they died in poverty. Yeah. yeah Even after working so hard to the bone, like when they died, they had nothing. And, you know, their family tried to be there for them. But they were under this this perception that if you work really hard, that you will be successful. And so we have so many people in our generations that young people such as ourselves can look up to and said, you know, this person worked really hard in that sugarcane field or picking cotton, whatever it was. 
and they still died a slave with nothing. And then you see it once they got freed from slavery where they start going out there and they're continue continued to be, you know, knocked down and, and told that they're nothing. And so they keep working harder and harder and harder. And then they started getting diseases and they're dying because stress causes a lot of these functions in your body to shut down. And they died with nothing. And so it's yeah. nowadays they're trying to teach the, the, the philosophy that, hey, you don't really need to work that hard. Just learn how to work smart. But as a culture, as a black culture, do we even know what work smart means to us? Do we know how to break away from a habit that has been poured down to us through generations after generation and break that yeah. generational trauma and try to be smart about the way that we work. Can we do that? Absolutely. I don't I don't know that we can without the awareness. And you said it, like you talked about the slave mentality. That is so true. Like even though we're not to, we're not on a plantation any longer, because of generational trauma, that concept of work hard, work hard, work hard. I need to prove myself, so I'm going to work harder. Um, I'm, it, they don't really recognize me for who I am, so I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do more. I'm going to put myself out there and, and do all of these things to prove that I'm no longer a slave, but still you're enslaved. And so I think what awareness, which is why it's so important these, that you're doing topics like this, um, awareness helps us kind of evaluate where we are. And are we still carrying on a slave mentality or behaviors that um, have been passed down from generation to generation to generation? And then the decision to actively say, this stops with me. Like, no longer. Like, I can remember, like, when I sat down with my team and I told them, guys, we're not going to work on weekends. And they were like, what? <laughs> or even the concept of having a business where you're not working eight hour days. They were like, wait a minute, what wait a minute. So it sounds like, like failure no, to not. me, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what we're wired to think. And I'm like, no, I just need to know that you've met the goal that you have for today. If you've met the goal that you have for today and for the business that we've been then You've done your job. You've done your job. I stop telling my children to work hard. I start telling them to do your best. Wow. That I'm so glad we're having this topic of conversation because I really do struggle with this area. I really do. I don't know yeah. how to break that habit. I really don't. I'm telling you, I need therapy. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It is so hard. It is so hard. Drawing those boundaries around your life, it is so hard. Yeah. Yes, but there is something that I mentioned before that I kind of wanted to bring up, and it was in regards to the first definition of the first part of the question, which is when I said I'm still trying to understand how generation trauma could be different from regular trauma, and you kind of went into it. Mm -hmm. And so in pertaining to gen the generational trauma aspect of what you explained, I do find that, especially in our community, and I'm not sure if it's just our community. I haven't really spoken to women of other communities, such as Caucasians or Latinas or Asians, where we talked about generational trauma and how it's almost normalized. Like if a, if a, if your daughter comes to a, a parent 
in this time and say, you know, hey, I was sexually abused or this happened to me by a family member. It's it's almost like, you know, the mother would turn around and go, oh, we all went through that. And it, it's just like you brush it off. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that I find it, it it's even more traumatizing than what you actually went through. Yeah, yeah. What you'll see is um, because you weren't protecting, then you don't know how to protect the other people that come that's coming behind you. And it is re-traumatizing. And I, I've met with so many people that says, well, I, I told my mom what happened. And they would cry more. And the pain, the hurt, the they would cry more for the fact that I told my mom and she did nothing versus it happened. Because we expect for the people that love us to protect us. But the reality is, especially with, with generational trauma, they may not know how. It's, it could be so normalized that they just do not know how. Wow. Damn, this conversation just got so deep. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Like, I've been there because I told my mom, and I was an adult when I told my mom that her boyfriend um, would touch me inappropriately. And I can remember her response. It's like, why didn't you tell me then? And that hurt me more than her even saying, I'm sorry that it happened. She never said, I'm sorry that it happened, by the way. Oh, wow. But she was more focused on, well, why didn't you tell me then? Or she was so focused on that. And I had to, as an adult, come to the realization that, and I knew, my mom has never said this, but I, I know it just from knowing what sexual abuse looks like, is that she didn't know how to respond because, no, she had never told anyone that it had happened to her. And she don't know how to protect me now as an adult because no one protected her as a child. Wow. That's really deep. And honestly... Yeah listening to your your you know story i can i it feels like like it was yesterday when my mother even told me about her sexual abuse as well and yeah. how you know she went to her mother to let her mother know that her husband has been you know has been sexually assaulting her and her younger sister and when she went yeah. to her mother to tell her mother this, um, her mother basically turned around and blamed them for it. And they were oh, yeah. less than 16. And I was shocked when my mother shared that with me because in my mind, I'm like, you're a child. Like, what, what, what was grandma even thinking to blame you yeah. for it and say that, oh, it's because you're wearing these short skirts in the house and you're trying to steal my man. And my mind, I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. This man is a predator. And you yeah. want so desperately to keep this man in your life that you're willing to, you know, throw your kids under the bus. I wonder, to this day, I wonder if my yeah. mom had not said anything to her mother and allow the sexual abuse to continue. And even if, you know, her mom had noticed that this was happening, would she have said anything? Or would she would she had, you know, let it continue so that she can keep her husband? Yeah. And yeah. my mother's experience traumatized me for life and I never experienced it. 
just traumatized yeah. me to this day. If I ever had a daughter and she came home and told me that this guy sexually harassed her, the the just the the traumatic experience from listening to my mother's story because I'm an empath yeah. would literally make me hunt this dude down and kill him. I would go to jail. Yeah. Because it's it's I could yeah. see the pain and feel the pain from my mother when she talked about it and to this day she's still traumatized by it. So yeah. hearing you tell the story, like you sound so sane when you're telling it to me and you're the person in that situation and I just don't understand how you are able to remain yeah. this calm. Yeah, I um I don't either. <laughs> I um it hurts. Um or it just to, you know, really be honest. Um, because this is a person that in, when I go back home I still see. And my mom who, you know, I still I love dearly and um and I still see. But I, I think what happened for me that really changed things um, is that when I told my mom and I shared this with her, I listened to her response and I reacted accordingly. It wasn't really nice and I didn't apologize for not being nice. But I remember when I went to visit her and he was there and I looked at her and I looked at him and I said, how dare you invite me over to your house? And he, he knew that he would be here. Wow. And he denied it, of course. And she was stunned. But I looked him in his face and I said, you know what you did. And I told her, I understand that you are dealing with your own issues as to why you won't sleep with someone who is trying to sleep with your daughter. And, of course, that like I just had to let my heart break. It had to. My husband was there during that time. He was backing me up. He knew that this was a moment that I needed to, I, I needed that moment to be able to say my peace to both of them. And when I left out of there, my children, they were outside in the car when all of it was going on. But they were able to see their mother take back the power from the situation. Because I held on to it all, all those years. I held on to it as if it was my fault. And I carried that guilt and shame, but being able to release it to the people that were responsible allowed for me to walk out of there with my dignity, my head held, uh, my head held high, and being a victor in the situation. Because now I don't have to hold on to it. They have to deal with it. I don't. It's, it's, it's a story for me. It's something I use to help other people. That is crazy. So that's how I, say I don't know where you got this strength from. I really don't know where you got this strength from because honestly, I don't believe that if I was in your position that that dude would be able to walk out of the house. He wouldn't be able to walk out of the house. I admire yeah. your strength and your ability to forgive and to release yourself, yeah. to forgive your mother because of her education. She doesn't know any better. Yeah. And to, to forgive him for what he did because of his education yeah. and to not take your pound of flesh i i'm like girl he wouldn't be able to walk yeah. out of that house if it was me yeah. but your strength yeah. is so strong like i feel like people like yourself who've been through what you've been through have way more strength than people like myself i could not give that level of forgiveness 
I'm going to hurt my mom and I'm going to hurt him because that's, yeah. that's how angry I would be because to me, a parent is supposed to protect their child. And if you yeah. fail me, there's no coming back from that. So the fact that yeah. you are able to hold her hands in, you know, proximity, not actually hold her hands. You know what I mean, though? In the way yeah, that you yeah. talk to her, it's almost like you're holding her hands with your words. And you are telling her without actually saying, I love you. And I know what you went through. And I know that you're in pain. And you don't know how to process what is happening right now. But I still yeah. love you and I still forgive you. Absolutely. And that's basically yeah. what I heard from your story. And I thought, that is that is strength. Next level strength. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. That's, I... I I don't know where it came from. I, I have to attribute it to my faith in God, number one. But I realized the assignment that I have on my life, too, that I cannot carry the weight of what happened and the the um, experience. I, could, I have some experiences. I have a lot of <laughs> You want to talk about racism? I have those experiences. You want to talk about... Family issues, I have those experiences. Being a teen mom and being um, raped or sexually assaulted multiple times, I have those experiences. But I realize I cannot carry those weights with me into where I'm going. And that even though they happened, I don't feel like my life belongs to just me. I feel like my life belongs to other people. Mm -hmm. And they need to see what it looks like to, um, to overcome and to fully embrace what God has called for you to do. And I can't fully embrace if I'm still holding on to that. Wow. Oh my goodness. I just, I've reached a new level of admiration for you. The amount of strength, like I'm sitting here trying really hard not to tear up because sexual assault or sexual violence is something that is very dear to me. It really affects me yeah. on another level. And I've yeah. never been through it. But it just yeah. hurts. It hurts my inside. It hurts my mind. It hurts my spirit. In my mind, I'm, I'm, when people talk about these types of topics, it makes me... The only thing I think is that this person came into your life and took a piece of your soul. Yeah, yeah. And just the thought of that just kills me. It makes me want to break down and it makes me want to cry like all the time. Yeah. Because I'm crying for that soul that was broken. Yeah. So. Yeah. I love you. I really do. That's so special. That's special. <laughs> I love you more. It's so special to have people that feel those pains that intense. That's special. You are special. <laughs> I don't know. I'm telling you, if it happened to my child, that person's dead. <laughs> There's no coming back from that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah I, I agree. We, I, I've had those conversations with my children, trust me. <laughs> okay, good. So I know as a therapist, your job is to help clients that have inherited their problems and help them to identify what is self-inflicted um, to the inheritance um, compared to, you know, something that they inherited. So healing is a big component of what you do. Would you consider what you do as holistic? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think you can properly, as a therapist, you cannot properly treat a person if you don't look at the whole being. We're not just people that are walking and we're exactly what you see. We have so much depth to us. And, um, yeah, I definitely consider it holistic because I can't treat a person just based off of of one, um, from one stance. I have to bring in the physical, the emotional, the spiritual um, components because we're made up of those. Well, the one thing I feel that holistic means to me is healing from the inside out. And I do feel that even with your your group the healing retreat group that you have that some of the topics that you even focus on in this facebook group is very geared towards healing from within and then it just mm-hmm. comes outwards and so yeah. that's one of the reasons why i wanted to clarify you know what you do is it holistic rather than chemical like i don't see you as a type of person that would push depression drugs or push drugs for anxiety i see you as a type of person that's like let's face our demons let's conquer yeah. it and now let's grow yes yes you hit it you hit it right on the head uh, cuz i do not Although I do feel like there are some times that medicines are needed. It's, we're talking about trauma, so I feel like it's befitting to talk about trauma. We'll see people with PTSD or um, they may have some anxiety issues and depression. And sometimes we cannot treat them if they have not had some other symptoms taken care of. So that, and when it comes to that, I will say you need to go see a doctor just to get on something to help you with these symptoms. But at the same time, we're still going to address the other part from a holistic um, perspective. Yes, and I appreciate that. I'm very into holistic. I would do drugs last. If I cannot do it myself and with the help of a, a therapist or someone that truly understands the process of healing, um, then yeah. the last, my last resort is drugs. So what is yes, the acronym? <laughs> yes, I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> what is the acronym of the um, H-E-A-L-I-N-G of your retreat group? I, you call it Healing uh, Retreat um, on Facebook. But what is the, yes. I, I would like for you to break down the acronym of Healing Certainly, certainly. It's actually called Inside Look, and the uh, method that I use to um, do that is called the HEAL method. Um, And so you hit it when you said the inside look, well, when you said um, looking inward or healing from the inside out, because that's exactly what inside look is. Like, we're going to stop, we're going to take an inside look, and then we're going to heal. So the H stands for healing challenging beliefs and negative thoughts. Um, that keep you stuck, um, and because we have so many um, mindsets um, that we've learned from the generations, or from society, or from culture, that really do keep us stuck and um, not able to grow. So that's the first acronym that we we kind of target in the retreat, and then we'll go into enhancing the quality of relationship with clear boundaries and expectations. So I am big on boundaries and expectations. I feel like our life should consist of boundaries with other people. And and it's personal to me because I went through life 
not knowing how to set those boundaries because here we go, generational trauma. Um, no one ever taught me how to set healthy boundaries. So in order for our relationships to to um, really be healthy relationships, we have to know how to set boundaries and expectations that are also healthy and uh, realistic. <laughs> Not out there, but realistic. And then the A um, talks about how to um, activate your hidden potential um, with learning how to set goals. Um, I wasn't taught how to set goals or to set realistic goals. And, um, and for a long time, I struggled to see my own hidden potential, my own potential that was inside. And I was like, okay, I know if I'm struggling with this, a lot of people are struggling with this. And I could hear so many stories of women saying, I feel stuck. I don't know where to go. I just don't know what my purpose is. I, I don't know how to get there. I know what I want to do. I have all these dreams, but I don't know how to get there. And so the, the A is focusing, focuses on how to activate what you already have in you because we were all born with a purpose, on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose. So we're going to tap into what's already in you and figure out how we're going to get you where you ultimately want to go in the future. And the, the last one is learning how to love yourself. And then the L talks about learning how to love yourself unapologetically, y'all. I mean, flaws and everything. Just learning how to love every part of who you are. And if there's a part that you don't love, then guess what? You have the power to change it. And so we focus a lot on self-esteem building and learning how to just really take care of us is holistic healing a part of the approach that you are using to create the curriculum for healing retreat uh for your uh, facebook group absolutely i will take certain components of this holistic approach so we're definitely focusing from the inside out but in the program that i'm developing called the relationship voice academy it will take various parts of the holistic approach and go in depth. Because, um, you know, I talked about, like, how transformation happens over time and through consistency. And so the Hill Retreat is kind of like, you know, here's, here's a bite size that you can take it and, and um, definitely apply to your life. But it's that first, first order change that we talked about a little bit earlier. So you'll see some behavior changes. But for the longer approach, the second order um, I am creating the Relationship Voice Academy, and I can't wait to tell you guys more about it later. All right. So when does the retreat begin, and how can people sign up to be a part of it? The very first retreat will be April the 12th, and people can sign up through the uh, Facebook group. It's called the April Hill Retreat. Um, but we do have another retreat coming up on June the 7th, and more information and details will be put out at a later date about how to sign up and register for them. Okay, perfect. I know when um, when I was recommending a lot of people to um, access your group and, you know, fill out the very short questions that you do have um, to access the private group, they were finding it difficult to find the group. So I just want to make it clear, right now the group is called April Healing Retreat Group. So just punch in April. April. Is it the uh, April, April or Hill. April? April Hill Retreat Group. Okay. It's not H.E.A.L, is it? Yes. 
h.e.a.l retreat group april field retreat group and you can do a search google search well when i google search it pops up even without the dots so it's april hill retreat group okay i just wanted to specify that because i was having difficulties when i was trying to encourage people to sign up for the group they couldn't find it so I, I really want yeah. to have you specify in this podcast episode. I am telling you guys, I'm on the, in this Facebook group, and honestly, it's one of the best groups. I love the daily motivational things that she posts up and the conversation she talks about mindset and cleansing of the soul and things and that sort and really attacking the demons in your life that you might not be willing to face. So honestly, it's a must. I am. I encourage you to go on this Facebook group and to sign up to be a part of it. It is worthwhile. Um, So where can people reach you personally? Thank you so much for that. That's so, so, so kind of you. You can reach me personally on social media, either Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Tiffany Ross, or you can find me at drtiffanyross.com. Wonderful. And keep in mind, she has some merch on her website. And that sweater that I saw her wearing in a live, you know, maybe two months ago (laughs) is something that I really want this coming winter. Because I love the saying. I love what she has written on the shirt. It's really good. And it's very good quality shirt. I honestly, I did appreciate you actually putting on the shirt in a live video and showing what it looks like because I could actually see the quality and it made me want the sweater. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So go on the website and purchase one of those shirts. Trust me. It's empowering. It's moving. You know, when people, when other females walk down the aisle, wherever you're working and they see you wearing the sweater in a grocery store, on the street, whatever it is, and you're wearing this sweater, they're going to, to admire it. They're going to read the words on that shirt and it might empower somebody else. So my friend, get on her website, get one of her merch whatever season it is that she has t-shirts she has sweaters she got it all just for you get it wear it and empower other people just by allowing them to read the words on your shirt trust me it it will always make someone's day to see some positivity on your shirt it really will thank you so much and when you purchase it make sure that you tag me in it so that we can celebrate with you because i believe in empowering women Once we're empowered, we empower each other. All right, perfect. Now, we will be back in about two weeks to conduct the part two of the this session this podcast episode of generational trauma Uh, so part two will be coming in so you know take the time check the facebook um, check the instagram you will see the notifications on twitter as well letting you know when dr tiffany ross will be back to complete the part two of generational trauma with us so thank you dr tiffany ross and i wish you a good day thank you so much and thank you (laughs) wonderful now I hope you all enjoyed the show tonight it was part one of generational trauma with Dr. Tiffany Ross part two will follow up in a week or two don't forget to click the follow button under TAO intentions podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify the ambitious obsession social media pages are Facebook at the ambitious obsession 
Instagram and Twitter at The Ambitious Ops. Now, I hope you have a wonderful day and do not forget to share this episode if you enjoyed it or you know someone that could truly benefit from the information that Dr. Ross has shared with us today. Have a wonderful day.